We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers and you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward into maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks the rain, land that drinks in the rain often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives a blessing from of God. But the land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless. It is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him and you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence in the very end so that what you hope may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what God has promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose clear to the heirs. I'm sorry. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may greatly be encouraged. We have this hope. As an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Thanks very much, Ben. Uh, My name's Daph, and uh, I've got the privilege of spending a few minutes uh, I always say a few minutes, it's going to be half an hour. I say a few minutes, but you know, that's to give some of you hope. Uh, but let's pray. Let's pray as we look at this passage from the Bible together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that you're the God who speaks. Thank you, you've gathered us here today to hear your voice. Please speak into our hearts. 
Uh, please speak wonderful truths about Jesus. Uh, please, as we hear about ourselves, uh, give us a willingness to listen. And in doing so, draw us ever closer to Christ for his name's sake. Amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's sort of a guaranteed way of winding people up, isn't it? You've ever heard someone say that to you? Yeah, yeah. It's the way you sort of show you're not interested. It's the classic expression often used, dare I say it, by teenagers towards their parents. Maybe you're a mum and you've experienced that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a way of indicating that your advice is no longer wanted and your presence is no longer needed. There's actually a an article on the BBC uh, website today, if you're a mum, I don't know if you've seen it, about how you can go from hero to zero as a mum. It, it talks about hero to beg friend. Uh, this is what the mum said. I hear them calling other mothers that, so I ask them, what is a beg friend? A friend who, like, begs for your attention, who wants to hang around with you, but you don't really want to hang around with, and, like, spends all their money, like, on you just for friendship, explains this girl called Eve. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? Oh, you're my big friend, mum. You just want to be my friend, but I just don't want you hanging around. And so often we don't want to hear what people say because basically we don't want to do what they say. When you read on in the article, it's, oh, mum, you're always telling me what to do. You're always in my face, you know, telling me about your childhood as a hippie. I don't want to hear about it. So let's get on with my own life. There is a link, isn't there, between hearing and doing. And that's actually what's going on in our passage this morning. We might not actually say, you know, yeah, 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 to Almighty God. But we just stop listening to what he says because we're pretty sure we don't want to do what he says. Now, if you've been with us in Hebrews, what we do here at Chessington is we work through a book of the Bible. We're working through this book, Hebrews. And what we've been seeing over the last few weeks is there's probably no book in the Bible that has more dangerous warnings about what it's like to drift away from following Jesus. It's a book that says, come on, stick with Jesus. But at the same time, we've also seen that there's no more book that describes more beautifully the person of the Lord Jesus and and what he's done for us. Uh, But all that warning and all that wonder, they're they're sort of totally useless, aren't they, if if we won't listen to it. So so what we've got this morning in, in our passage is, it's a bit like a chef, you know, with one of those mallets, um, who gets a steak and tenderizes it before cooking it. Well, the writer to Hebrews is sort of getting his listeners, and he's got the mallet out, and he's going to tenderize us a bit before he gets us in chapter 7 to 10 to look at how extraordinary the person of Jesus is. So this morning we've got a serious warning, but also we've got the most solid promise. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, I hope as we look at these verses you'll see, one, how seriously we take the person of Jesus Christ. It's not just a bolt onto life. He is the heart of what we believe. But also, I hope you'll see how utterly secure Christians are when they trust in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no one else like him. He does transform the foundations of your life. So there's a couple of headings. Here's the first heading. Don't be a slug heed God's serious warning. Let let me read you verse 11 again of chapter 5. The writer says, we have much to say about this, that's about Jesus and the wonderful things he's done, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Literally it says, because you are sluggish of ears. 
Isn't that a great expression? Sluggish of ears. I've got more wonderful things I want to tell you about Jesus, says the writer. The problem with you Hebrews is I'm, I'm not convinced you're listening anymore. And so he goes on, verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. I mean, you've been going on with Jesus for a while. You should be able to communicate the wonderful truths about him to other people. But, but all I find you doing is going, goo, 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 goo. That's all you can say. I'm mean, going to take you out you know, to the pub. It's, it's steak and chips time. But you say, oh, I, I, like, I like a bottle. You got any SMA? I like the gold, preferably with a teat. And you want to suckle on that when I'm trying to buy you something at Harvester? What's going on here? You're not mature. You can't tell, he says in verse 13, the difference between right and wrong. You're just an infant. And so let me read you verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Look, as Christians, you need training. But but you seem to have skipped that. You're still in nappies. And that's what we need, isn't it? Day by day to, to have been trained in what's right and wrong according to God's word so that when we hear what it says in God's word, then we can put it at, into action when we go out into the world. But for the Hebrew Christians, they're not much interested in that. And actually, the great thing about the training for a Christian is that we don't do it on our own. Like most babies, we have a loving parent who wants to teach us. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 6. The writer says... Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Be taken forward or carried forward to maturity. It's what we call in the uh, preaching trade a divine passive. In other words, God will take you forward to maturity. Let God carry you forward to maturity. Now, now we don't expect, say, for instance, babies to to teach or train themselves, do we? I I was chatting to a uh, someone recently who's uh, doing potty training. They're, they're not actually doing potty training themselves. They're potty training their toddler. I always think, though, it should be called parent training, shouldn't it? I mean, basically, because all the child does is continue to evacuate its bladder or its bowels. What the parent does is it puts the potty in the plastic bag. They then carry the potty. Let's not say it. She carries the potty around. Then they wait till the child's like, oh, oh, the sign, the bottom clutching, the fidgeting. Quick, get the trousers down, put it on the potty, sit it down. Child does whatever it's going to do. Then you go, well, well done. Well done. Like you've done anything. Congratulations. Ooh, what a good boy. And then you have to wander for the half mile to the nearest bog to go and get rid of the contents of the potty before patting it on the head. We don't, we don't say, it would be great if you could, it would be great if this worked, but it doesn't, by the way, if you're going to have children, this doesn't work, you sort of, here's the potty, son, here's the manual, I'll see you later, get on with it yourself, okay? It just doesn't work. And that's the same here. God is the one who wants to carry you along to maturity, who wants to train you in the Christian life, who wants to take you out of spiritual nappies. Our problem is, we sort of want to stay in the spiritual nursery, We don't want God to teach us to grow up. We don't want him to take the dummy out. Because it does look like security is the issue that's holding these Hebrew Christians back. Have a look what they're they're clinging to. You can see it in chapter 6 and verse 1 again. 
Not laying again the foundations of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, there's nothing in that list a good Jew would not disagree with. Yeah, they're all things Christians should be taught, but they're all foundational truths you'll find in the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament. And what we've seen in Hebrews is that the Hebrew Christians are in danger of drifting back to Judaism. Because in the first century, if you were a Jew, you were accepted in society. It was okay in the Roman Empire to be a Jew. But if you are a Christian, well, that, that got you ostracized. You're a bit of a weirdo. And that's the reason that people stop listening to God's word. It's, it's why they don't want to go on with the Lord Jesus Christ, becoming keener on him. I guess it's why we stop listening today. It's pressure from our families. Oh, oh look, darling, it's, it's lovely that you go to church, but just don't take it too seriously, will you? Or pressure in the workplace. Oh, mate, it's great that you, you believe that. I wish I believed it, but come on, you, you do need to relax, you know, get a life. It can even be pressure from the government, can't it? I mean, Scott's a teacher. Teachers are under huge pressure in schools now to teach a, a worldview that has nothing to do with what God says in the Bible. See, the world crowds in around us and it just says fit in, and we feel that pressure to fit in. We've even given it a label. It's called British values. That's what British values is about. Just fit in. Don't be too keen about Jesus. Don't, don't get too keen. Just, just keep it quiet. So the danger is we stay in our spiritual cot. Sucking hard on our bottle. People can wander by us and go, Oh, lovely Christians, they're so nice. Not offensive to anyone. Just stay there. And what God says is, No, I, I want to grab you with my word and I want to take you on to spiritual maturity so you see how extraordinarily wonderful Jesus is and you become a radical follower of his. And he says, Look, you've got to do that. But because the alternative, well, well the alternative is dreadful. Look, look at verse 4 with me. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. I- impossible, n- no way back. That's what it means. It's actually one word, impossible, a really brutal word. A- and then look in verse 6, how he ends this little bit. He says, and those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So he says, if you're not going to be taken along to maturity and you're going to drift away from Jesus, it's impossible to be brought back if you fall away. And fall away is the word we get our word apostasy from. This isn't sort of fall away as though gravity is some way taken over and you started tumbling away from Jesus. No, this is an active decision to reject the person of Jesus Christ. To reject God's goodness to you. Look at the goodness that gets listed in verses 4 to 6. Who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. But the writer is using deliberately ambiguous expressions. He's saying, look, here are some of the things you receive as you come amongst God's people. But receiving them doesn't necessarily mean you're definitely a believer. 
So to be enlightened in Hebrews seems to to get some sort of understanding of the message about Jesus for yourself. To to, to realize why he is so good. It's even possible that the writer is suggesting they've been baptized. They've tasted the heavenly gift of the Spirit. In some way they've experienced the way that the Holy Spirit brings love and warmth and affection and goodness. They've heard God's word. They fed on it. They enjoy a good sermon. They, they found it a sort of wholesome experience. They've tasted of the love that's amongst God's people, a, a love that is a bit like being in heaven at its best, a, a quality of relationship that God brings in the church. This is actually very like God's people Israel in the Old Testament. Our writers use them as an example again and again. If you know what happened in the book of Exodus, they get rescued out of Egypt. They all get rescued out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. They all see God's great acts of salvation. Can you, can you imagine being there when God turned the lights off and it was dark, or God made hailstones the, the size of footballs to fall from the sky? They, they all were there during the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea. They were all guided by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire through the desert. They all tasted of the heavenly food of manna. They all heard the goodness of God's word. These were the people who received the Ten Commandments, for goodness sake. They were all blessed by God. But they wanted the quiet life. And so when the challenge came about taking a stand to trust God and going to the promised land... Well, they rejected what God said, and therefore they were rejected by him as a result. You see, God's people have a, have a history sometimes of receiving his blessing with very different results in their lives. And so the writer says, it's impossible if you receive all this blessing, but then reject it. There's no, there's no other way to go. That's the point of the the agricultural illustration, how you respond to this blessing. Look, it comes in verse 7. He says, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling in it, that produces a crop useful to those from whom it is farmed, receives a blessing from God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is danger of being cursed. It, in the end, it will be burned. Now, which type of land are you? That's the question. Both receive the rain, the input's the same, it's the output that's different. So, so do you drink deeply on the word of God and are blessed by him and, and have been carried along to maturity? Or do you take all that you experience, that God gives you, and, and live life basically self-interested, self-centered, the, the quiet life, the, the comfortable life, the life that fits in? Producing the same sort of worldly weeds as everyone around you who doesn't know Jesus. Because if you do at the end of verse 8, that the danger is being cursed. It is impossible if you fall away to come back. See, what, what starts quietly as is, is just wanting to remain on the fringes of things, maybe ignoring God's word, maybe just not picking the Bible up or going to a group, becomes then just not turning up to church that regularly, wanting to be content in this world, and ends in rejecting Jesus, saying he's worthless. Now, not just with your lips, but in your heart, so that you don't treasure the cross of Christ, 
That you don't think it's extraordinary that God's son would love me and die for me, but you treat it with contempt, says the writer. You live life doing things that Jesus has to die for, and it doesn't really bother you in the slightest. Your heart is so hardened to him. Now, if you're here this morning and you think this, there's any danger of this being you, can, can I say that is God's great kindness to you? There'll be people here this morning who that is true for, but the people who are in a greater danger are the people who've chosen not to be here this morning for whom this might be true for. It is God's kindness to you to bring you under this diagnosis and say, look, here is a serious warning. If you won't let me carry you along to to grow into the wonder and beauty of knowing Christ more, then you may well drift away. And if you drift away and eventually deny me, there there is nothing worse. It's actually the most dangerous expression you'll hear anyone say. Oh yeah, I used to be a Christian. I used to go to church, but no, I don't believe that anymore. And do you see the tone of our writer in verse 9? Just feel how he says this. Even though we speak like this, dear friends. It's, it's the only time in the letter he says, dear friends. Literally the word is beloved. Even though we speak like this to you, beloved. That, that's how this warning comes from God. I, I love you. Hear the warning. When we were living in Exeter, um, my son Hugh, who was about four at the time, did the classic, he ran out in front of a car on our road. You know, time went into slow motion. Fortunately, the car went into slow motion as well and stopped about three yards from him quite easily. I didn't go into slow motion. I was across the road. I grabbed Hugh as a loving father. I smacked him on the bottom three times. I sat him on the roof of our car and I began to shout at him, telling him about all the road traffic accident programs I've seen and the horrendous injuries that had happened and how he would die if it ever did it again. I did that for my son, maybe in a slightly less controlled way than I should have done, because I love him very much. And I never wanted him to run in front of a car again. And that's what God is saying here. That's the nature of this warning. Beloved, don't go there. Let me, let me take you along. Let me, let me teach you about Jesus. Please, don't, don't harden your heart to what I've got to say. Please, don't be sluggish of ears. In fact, the Hebrew Christians, they're not there yet. Look, look at verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're convinced of better things in your case. Things that have to do with salvation. Things that, that have to do with Jesus. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. Oh, I don't think you're there yet, says the writer. I know you love God's people. I see you love God's people. You're not there yet. Will you listen to the warning? You've not rejected him yet. Please make listening to me a priority, says the Lord. It's like one of those warnings you had, those lessons you had on smoking at school. Not the ones behind the bike shed, the ones from the teacher. You know, where um, where they showed you the lungs of a 60-year-old man who died of lung cancer. And they said, this is what you will get if you have another cigarette ever in your life. You've been caught having one fag. And they go, this is tomorrow if you don't stop smoking. 
It's a real warning, but, but they're not there yet. This is where it leads. And do you see how he cares for each one in verse 11? He says, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. This isn't a pastor who goes, oh, it's great. There's sort of like 350, 400 of us here this morning. That's great. I feel fine about myself. No, he knows everyone's name. And he says, I want each, each, every individual one of you to listen to the Lord because I want you to be certain that your hope in Jesus is fully realized, that you don't drift away from him, but you keep going with him actively to the very end. So don't be a slug. Heed God's serious warning because, secondly, don't be a slug. Hold fast to God's serious, solid promise. Look at verse 12 with me. We do not want you to become lazy. It's actually the same word again. We don't want you to become a slug sluggish but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised the opposite of not listening to God is patiently trusting his promises and the writer says you can trust them verse 13 when God made his promise to Abraham since there was no one greater for him to swear by he swore by himself saying I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Literally, verse 14 says, I will surely bless you a blessing and multiply to you a multiplication. I really want you to know this, Abraham. I'm going to bless you and you're going to have lots of descendants. And eventually, if you know the account of Abraham from the Old Testament, what happens is Abraham, after a very long time, has one son, Isaac. Verse 15 And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. One son. That's that's all Abraham got. But God wants Abraham to know that through him he is going to bless the world. And because there's no one greater than God, the God who, who absolutely and utterly can be trusted, because he loves Abraham, backs up his promise with an oath. He swears. And 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 because there's no one greater than himself, he swears by himself. I swear by almighty me that I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me me. Or something like that. This is God who can't lie, and he says, I'm going to do this, Abraham. But, but not just so Abraham is certain about God's promises, it's so we can be certain about God's promises. Verse 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and the oath, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Literally, we might have strong encouragement. Now, I've made a few promises in my life. I mean, think about, think about your marriage promises. They're hard, aren't they? My problem is my, my promises depend on me. And I'm weak. And I might even want to carry them out. But I'm not able to carry them out. But God's promises depend on God. And he's not able to lie. And he's never broken one. And we can be certain of God's promises to us because of not just Abraham, but Jesus. The one who's fulfilled all of God's promises. 
And so the writer says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Now, anchors are there to, to hold ships in a current. And the current of our hearts is to drift away from Jesus and to fit in with our culture. And an anchor is especially important in the storm, isn't it? Because breaking away from an anchor in a storm leads to disaster. But our anchor, says the writer, is firm. It is secure. Whatever life throws at us, our anchor of God's promise will never be ripped from its moorings. And that's because of Jesus. The one who is in the very presence of God, says the writer, behind the curtain. It's a picture of the the temple where the Jews would go to worship God. And at the heart of the temple was the presence of God symbolized in the Holy of Holies. And you had to go through a curtain into the heart of the temple. And the high priest could only go there once a year. But our writer says, your representative with God, Jesus, is behind the curtain permanently in God's presence. And so you know God is for you. His promise to you is solid. Why? Because the one behind the curtain is the Son of God who died for you. So you know God loves you. And the one behind the curtain is the Son of God who has cleansed you from sin. So you know God treats you as though you are totally innocent, even though you're his enemy. And the one behind the curtain is a man, a human being. So you know that a human being has gone to the presence of God. So all humanity, if they trust in Christ, can go into God's presence. And the one behind the curtain is on your side. So he's going to keep you going. He will hold you fast. Until you go to be with him. An anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. Do do you know, if you trust in Jesus, do you know what you have to do to lose your relationship with God? Get Jesus kicked out of heaven. That's all you've got to do. He's the anchor. If you trust in Jesus, you've only got to get him kicked out of heaven to mess up your relationship with God. That's not going to happen, is it? It's just not going to happen. Firm and secure. You see, there's a serious warning here, but God does not want you to be fearful. He wants you to cling to Jesus and to be secure. He doesn't want you to doubt your salvation today. He wants you to look to Jesus and know you're saved. He doesn't want you to be despondent about your own sinfulness. He wants you to marvel at Jesus and what he has done for you. He wants you to be doubly certain, absolutely certain. See, that's the alternative in Hebrews. Are you going to trust the world around you and and, and slowly harden your heart to God and drift away till actually you never trusted in Jesus at all. Ignore what he says. Or are you going to cling to the promises of God, promises that are certain because Jesus has fulfilled every single one? And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks in Hebrews 7 to 10, we're going to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus, our promise-keeping God in all his great love and work for us. You see, if you're a Christian, heaven's already in your grasp. You're holding on to Jesus Christ. He's your high priest. That's why he's like Melchizedek. We're going to have to wait till next week to find out about him. I love walking along the coastline. Do you like walks along the coastline? 
or maybe you're a mountain walker or a woody walker. I like walks along the coastline, the glorious views, the, the beautiful beach below. The problem is I'm not very good at heights. Cliffs scare me. Um, you might have seen this picture. You see this picture? It came out a couple of weeks ago. Can you see the problem this woman's got? She's having her picnic in a very foolish place. A large section of the cliff that she happens to be sitting on is going to end up in the sea. Well, well imagine, lose, we better lose the picture, otherwise they'll just gaze at it. Imagine that you are walking along a cliff top path with your mum. It's a Mother's Day. Make it your mum. It's a beautiful day, but it's a bit windy. And you fancy seeing what's over the edge. So you begin to loosen your grip on your mum's hand and just pull away towards the cliff. Don't, don't go any closer, my love. It's dangerous. If you, if you run towards the edge and, and if you fall, you will be killed. There's, there's no way back once you're falling. It's a serious warning. It's a frightening warning. But even as she speaks, you feel her hand begin to grasp yours again more tightly. And gently she pulls you back towards the path. Come with me. I promise you the view is even better at the top. I'm going to pull you up the hill with me. And then we'll sit down and we'll enjoy this beautiful picnic that I've prepared for us. Come with me. Will you heed God's warning? Will you listen to him so that you bear the riches of God's fruit in your life as you mature in Jesus Christ? Will you hold fast to God's solid promise? Christ is an anchor for the soul and he will never fail you. Let's pray together. I don't know what you need to say to the Lord. Perhaps you need to ask him to help you to listen. Perhaps you need to ask him for strength to keep clinging to him. Perhaps you need to thank him for the certainty of his promise. Just take a couple of minutes in the quiet to speak to the Lord about these things.